0: Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. There are over 700,000 sexual offenders in the United States alone. With all the social media these days, how can we protect ourselves and our children from these despicable predators?
1: Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast, where we discuss criminal cases that involve some factor of abuse. Our goal is to spread awareness of abuse that could be taking place around any of us and encourage everyone to take responsibility and report if they see a child or an adult being abused.
0: It was late afternoon on Monday, December 4th, 1972, in Merced, California. Kay and Delbert Stainer were beginning to get worried about their seven-year-old son, Steven. He should have been home from school around 3 p.m., but he still hadn't shown up. A bit panicked, Kay Stainer started calling around to all of Steven's friends, but none of them knew where he was either. She called the police at 5.15 p.m. to report him missing. They began investigating and learned that he had been last seen on the campus by a fellow student at 2.30 p.m. Then some workers at a service station had seen him walking towards his home on Yosemite Parkway near Shirley Street after school. Police canvassed the area near the house and later conducted a massive search with all the men they could spare. Although they couldn't find evidence of foul play, they had no choice but to believe that Steven Stainer was in danger.
1: Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. This is Ryan.
0: And this is Rosie.
1: Oh, we kind of changed it up there, didn't we? (laughs)
0: Um,
1: So the case we're talking about tonight is a case that I first heard on Generation Y. Of course, our biggest inspirations. But um, that really stood out to me because of the tragic way these children's lives were altered. And I don't want to spoil too much in case you don't know this story, but it really shows how an abuse victim's life can be ruined. We talked last week about Jamie Kloss and how, although it's a happy reunion, she's lost so much and experienced so much pain. And we stressed how much these things can impact your life and the need for love and patience while helping these survivors to heal. But the story tonight is a pretty extreme case of what could happen to a survivor that isn't quite nurtured for healing or taken care of as much as they should be.
0: Before we get started, we want to thank our two new patrons this week, Tracy and Wendy.
1: Thank you, Tracy and Wendy.
0: And we also want to thank Jordan for increasing her patronage. Thank you, Jordan.
1: Thanks, Jordan.
0: I can't help but think of Wendy from Peter Pan because of where we're going in a few days.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. We are (laughs) going to Disney World. Rosie has worked very hard uh, selling stuff on Facebook Marketplace around our house to to put up enough money to be able to go to Disney. So <laughs> she's earned it. Thank you. And also, um, since we just thanked our patrons, I just want to say if you do enjoy our show and want to get some cool stuff and a couple of premium episodes and support us, go check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Podcast. We just put up uh, a couple weeks ago, a premium episode on Henry Lee Lucas, which is available for the $2 a month level and above. And then we also have a premium episode on Jared Fogle, the subway guy. So
0: And maybe we'll have one about Disney coming up.
1: Spoiler alert.
0: <laughs> it's just exciting all but, around.
1: Yes. And I also just posted for people who are our patrons um, directions on how to get our premium episodes into your regular podcast app. So if you're using Apple Podcasts, uh, there's a link. Everyone has a specific link because it connects to your specific patronage that you can put into your RSS feed URL in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and get our premium feed directly in there so you don't have to listen on Patreon's janky app. (laughs) <laughs> so if you have any trouble with that, definitely feel free to reach out to me and, and I'll help you walk you through that. So anyways, enough about that. Let's talk about Steven Stainer.
0: All right. Steven Stainer was the middle of five children born to Kay and Delbert Stainer. They had three girls and two boys and they lived in Merced, California. One of his sisters was named Corey, but we're not sure about the other two And his one brother's name was Carrie. You may know of him as a serial killer.
1: Yes, but this story we're going to tell is not about Carrie. He gets plenty of coverage. Um, If you are interested in that story, 2020 actually just released a documentary about it last Friday. So go check that out. Um, We haven't had time yet because we've been out of town. But now let's jump into Stephen's life.
0: As we described in the intro, Stephen was last seen walking home from school on December 4th. While he was walking, he was approached by a strange man in the neighborhood who had been handing out religious gospel tracts to all the children walking home. The man told Stephen that he was a church representative looking for donations and asked if Stephen's mom would be willing to donate to the church.
1: And being a naive seven-year-old boy, Stephen was like, yeah, I think so.
0: The strange man asked Stephen if he could show him where he lives so he could talk to his mother. Stephen agreed, and a white Buick pulled up. The man told Stephen it would be easier if they just rode together, and the boy could show him where to go.
1: So this white Buick was driven by a creepy man named Kenneth Parnell, and the strange man that had been talking to Stephen was named Irvin Edward Edward Murphy, not to be confused with Eddie Murphy. (laughs) Irvin was known as a bit of a simple-minded man, um, so he was a little slow, and Parnell was taking advantage of that to get the man to do his legwork for him. They actually worked together at Yosemite National Park, and Parnell used the same guise on Irvin as Irvin used on Stephen, saying that he was an aspiring minister and that God had called upon Kenneth to spiritually guide a young boy. So.
0: So Irvin agreed to help Kenneth Parnell abduct a young boy, and that's just what they did. After Stephen agreed to show the man where he lived, the white Buick pulled up, and Stephen willingly got inside. But Stephen quickly became confused and then scared when Kenneth Parnell didn't take the directions from the boy, but instead drove to a completely different location. I'm Bonnie Lee, the host of
1: Writing About Crime, a Canadian true crime podcast that looks for the story behind criminal cases, the people, the places, and the events that join together to create a narrative, not a scoop. I am not reading you the news. I am writing about crime.
0: I hope you'll join me. On iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. He took Stephen to his cabin in Kathy's Valley.
1: Kathy's Valley is about a half hour drive from Merced. So remember, Stephen was within walking distance of his home. So this car ride ended up being a lot longer than he expected. And this must have been really scary for this seven year old boy.
0: It'd be scary for anybody. Yeah. When they arrived at Parnell's cabin, Stephen had no idea about this, but he was actually less than a 1,000 feet away from his maternal grandfather's house.
1: How sad is that?
0: That's really sad.
1: Especially as the story goes on, this this coincidence really never ends up working to Stephen's favor, which is sad.
0: If it happened to me now, I still wouldn't realize I was that close to anybody's house.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's true.
0: They arrived at the cabin, and things didn't take long to turn ugly. The same night that Stephen arrived, Kenneth Parnell started abusing him. He molested him that night, and 13 days later, he raped Stephen for the first time. Parnell continued to use Stephen as his object of sexual abuse. Yeah,
1: so now we see what this man's intentions were. He obviously wasn't called on by God. He had pedophilic tendencies and just wanted to abduct a young boy to use to satisfy his sick desires.
0: This was an awful experience for Stephen to endure, and he obviously did not like living there. He kept begging Parnell to take him home to his parents. But Parnell got sick of this and came up with a convincing story to tell the boy.
1: Yeah, he told Stephen that his parents didn't want him anymore. He convinced the young boy that his parents had given him up because they couldn't afford all five children, and they had made Kenneth Parnell his legal guardian.
0: Stephen eventually accepted this. From this point on, he was controlled by Parnell's brainwashing.
1: And why wouldn't he be? He's a seven-year-old boy. He's very trusting. His parents had four other kids, and maybe he struggled with self-esteem. No matter what it was, Stephen had been convinced that this was the truth and it must have been really devastating for him, Mm -hmm. thinking that his parents didn't want him anymore.
0: Well, we see this with even adults that are abducted. Remember that one woman who was stolen and she was turned into a sex slave and she had to sign that fake contract?
1: Oh, yeah, Colleen Stan.
0: Colleen Stan, yeah. And her abductor made her eventually believe that the contract was true and he was legally her Owner, yeah, and the cops were all in on it. Remember that, yeah? It's so it happens. I think,
1: uh, that's episode 10. No, I don't remember which eight. One. I think we have covered her in the past, but it's an older episode and it probably wasn't very good. So, <laughs> if you want to hear that story, I'd recommend the red handed version. But well, that's just me.
0: My point is that it doesn't just happen to children, it can happen to adults too, yeah. Parnell started calling Stephen by his new name, Dennis Gregory Parnell. I wonder what made him come up with Dennis Gregory Parnell.
1: It was the 80s? (laughs) True. Or 70s, actually, at this point.
0: He used this name to enroll him in many different schools that he had to attend over the next several years, because Parnell would often move them around. They had gone from Merced to Santa Rosa to...
1: Comptche. That's what I think it's pronounced.
0: I'm going to let you take the blame for that. mess <laughs> As well as many other places in California. This whole time he pretended to be the boy's father. So he was gutsy. He had this kid out and about. Yeah. It was just a name change.
1: Yeah. Well, and he also changed Stephen's appearance by cutting his hair and dyeing it. But that's almost unbelievable to me that that could work. By simply cutting and dyeing his hair, he was able to let this missing child go out in public and nobody recognized him. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was the 70s. There was no Instagram and Facebook for passing along missing photos. But I'm still amazed that a child that went missing like this wasn't popularized enough to be recognizable to anyone he came in contact with. Kind of like we talked about last week, how great this true crime community is and how great law enforcement did with Jamie Kloss. She could have probably been spotted by anyone in the U.S. and been recognized. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And probably by a lot of people in other countries, too. But Stephen here was able to attend public school as a missing person in the same state he went missing and never be recognized. It's kind of sad.
0: Things went even further downhill for Stephen when Parnell started giving him alcohol as a child. And because Parnell was bouncing between jobs all the time, which often required travel, Stephen would be left alone a lot of the time and free to come and go as he pleased. Parnell even got Stephen into smoking cigarettes.
1: Yeah, and keep in mind, this is from age seven. So he's missing out on being raised in a nurturing home and instead being isolated and giving a- given access to alcohol and cigarettes. Can't even imagine the physical damage that would cause to a child.
0: Stephen still wanted to escape at this point, but he had no idea how to get help or where to go. He couldn't even remember his last name, and still truly believed that his parents didn't want him. The only real happiness he had while living in this situation was a Manchester Terrier named Queenie that Parnell had given him. He had gotten the dog from his mother, who had no idea that Kenneth had a boy living with him. When Stephen was around the age of nine, they were living in Santa Rosa, and a woman moved in with the two of them.
1: Yeah, her name was Barbara Matthias, and she wasn't a great person either.
0: On nine separate occasions, Barbara and Kenneth raped Stephen at the same time. Wow. This
1: reminds me of Cody Posey, you mm-hmm. know? I don't know how these weirdos find each other, like, how do two pedophiles get into a conversation about their shared interests in the days before the internet? It's so odd to me.
0: Barbara lived with them for about 18 months, and during that time in 1975, Parnell had convinced her to try to lure another young boy into his car. The target was actually in the Santa Rosa Boys Club with Stephen. Thankfully, this attempt was a failure.
1: Yeah, and we'll see throughout this case that it's a real common thing for Kenneth Parnell to be really manipulative to people Mm -hmm. and get them to do his legwork for him.
0: Interesting. From the time of Stephen's kidnapping, his sexual abuse continued for seven years, but eventually he aged out of Kenneth Parnell's taste. (sighs)
1: So just think about that. Seven years this kid had been missing and raped over all this time. His parents still had no idea where he was, probably assuming he was dead. But to put that in his perspective, and don't take this as me trying to quantify different situations or compare traumas, but we all recently experienced this with Jamie Kloss being missing for 88 days, and it's about three months that seemed like an excruciatingly long time, having no idea what happened to her. But Stephen had been missing for 28 times longer than that. Again, I'm not comparing their experiences at all, just comparing the time frame so we can all try to understand just how long his family had been missing him at this point.
0: Mm-hmm. So now Stephen is 14 years old, and Parnell wants to find a new younger boy to kidnap. Yeah. This time, Parnell wanted to target someone even younger than Stephen when he was taken. Hearing these new plans really upset Stephen.
1: Yeah, Stephen was so psychologically damaged and brainwashed that he never really wanted to escape for himself. But hearing about plans to take another young child, he kind of connected the dots. And maybe this is when he realized his parents never actually gave him up, but he was just straight up taken by this monster.
0: Kenneth Parnell asked Stephen to help him abduct another boy. Stephen refused, but Parnell eventually forced him into it. Stephen went along with it, but he intentionally sabotaged the plan. This upset Parnell, and he decided to try bribing one of Stephen's teenage schoolmates, Sean Porman, with money and drugs.
1: At first, this sounded good to Sean, because what teenager doesn't want some cash? But then he realized... He didn't really want to be a part of this.
0: Well, good for Sean. (laughs) Yeah. Sean tried to back out of the plan, but Parnell threatened him, forcing him to comply. On February 14th, 1980, in Ukiah, California, Sean assisted Parnell in kidnapping a five-year-old boy named Timmy White. Five years old. Yeah. Stephen felt so terrible for this little boy knowing the pain that he would have to endure while living with this monster. He became emotionally attached to Timmy and vowed to protect the little boy from suffering the same abuse and terrible upbringing that he had endured.
1: So this really speaks to Stephen's character here. Even though he had spent ages 7 to 14 being raped, given booze and cigarettes, and emotionally neglected, he still had a moral sense of right and wrong and a regard for human life. It's so refreshing to see after seeing so many abuse victims turn to doing wrong themselves. But Stephen had this inborn desire to help little Timmy.
0: Two weeks after the kidnapping of Timmy White, Parnell had gone to work at his night shift as a security guard.
1: Ironic, yet not surprising that this guy would work in security.
0: Very ironic. Stephen took Timmy and left the house where they were living.
1: It was actually storming that night, so not great conditions to be trying to run away.
0: They hitchhiked 40 miles into the town of Ukiah. I hope I'm saying that right. I don't know
1: how else you could say it.
0: Okay. Stephen wanted to help Timmy find his house, but the boy wasn't old enough to give directions to his home. Stephen decided the best plan would be to go to the police station. Stephen was pretty nervous. Being a 14-year-old boy walking at night with a 5-year-old, so he stayed back and hid and told Timmy to go into the police station and ask for help. But police spotted Stephen hiding, and they detained both of the children.
1: Yeah, initially police were suspicious of Stephen. They had immediately identified Timmy White, but they didn't know who Stephen was. They actually suspected Stephen of being the boy's kidnapper at first.
0: I guess that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it was a 14-year-old with a 5-year-old and
0: night. knight. Stephen explained his story to the police, but he wasn't positive on what his original name was.
1: Remember that Parnell had renamed Stephen to Dennis and called him that for seven years, so he couldn't remember his last name at all.
0: During some questioning, he was able to tell police that he'd been abducted by the same man as Timmy, and he said, "'I think my name is Stephen.' Meanwhile, Parnell had realized that Stephen was no longer under his control and because of the recent kidnapping, was realizing what really happened to him. Stephen had no idea, but the same day, Kenneth Parnell had finished digging a grave where he planned to dispose of Stephen after ending his life so he could easily move Timmy across the country and continue abusing him.
1: So this man was planning to not only be a kidnapper... But a murderer. Sounds like a pretty dangerous man to me.
0: Yeah, you would think that he'd have some type of emotional connection to this kid. He'd been with him for seven years. Yeah. That's crazy. It didn't take long for police to crack down on Kenneth Parnell. He was arrested by the dawn of the next day, March 2nd, 1980, They did a background check on him and found a previous charge from 29 years earlier in march of 1951 he had been arrested for sodomizing a young boy after showing him a false deputy sheriff's badge for this he was sentenced to four years in prison and actually escaped from the norwalk state hospital but he was captured and taken back
1: yeah he i mean he tried to escape what an idiot (laughs) Now, I do want to briefly address this because we often talk about the cycle of abuse on the show. Um, an author named Mike Eccles had written a book named I Know My First Name is Steven, and in it, it talks a little bit about Kenneth Parnell's life, and it says that he was molested by someone staying in his mother's rooming house when he was 13 years old. I guess his mom owned, like, a motel or something. So... There is talk of him being abused as a child, which could have been a factor in the monster that he became. Here, like the David Berg case, we see a quote-unquote relatively small incident, possibly turning into something much bigger and more devastating.
0: The children were reunited with their families the day they were found. Stephen received a $15,000 reward for rescuing Timmy, but he had a really tough time adjusting to life with his family again.
1: Yeah, he'd been so accustomed to having a permissive lifestyle and being able to do whatever he wanted.
0: His brother, Carrie really resented all the attention Stephen was getting from the parents and from the media. When he returned to school, he was actually teased by the other kids over the sexual abuse that he had endured. This really got to him, and eventually he dropped out.
1: Yeah, these kids are, what, 14, 15?
0: What a bunch of brats.
1: And- oh, they're so cruel and cold to this poor kid just because of the stigma around male rape. It's just so... That's sick. It's disappointing that these kids would make fun of him for this.
0: He also struggled because he had become addicted to cigarettes and alcohol while in captivity, and now he was back into a normal, healthy lifestyle with his parents, but suffering from withdrawal. This led to so much tension in the house that he publicly questioned whether he should have even come home. Oh my gosh.
1: You know, he felt like maybe his family would have been better off if he'd never come home. One of the saddest factors to me, and I'm sure you'd agree, Rosie, is that his father really didn't want him to get therapy or counseling. So he didn't. Why? I mean, he just said he didn't think he needed it. and what do you think of that
0: <laughs> i think that he did <laughs> need it i
1: mean seven years in captivity and raped the know. whole time how could you not need therapy
0: i guess what year is this again we're in the 70s 1980 or the 80s is when he was i guess people just weren't as open to therapy as they are now
1: i suppose that's true living in a much different world now what a uh, On this same topic, we just want to quote an interview he did with Newsweek shortly after returning home. Do you want to read that quote, Rosie?
0: Sure. He said, I returned almost a grown man, and yet my parents saw me at first as their seven-year-old. After they'd stopped trying to teach me the fundamentals all over again, it got better. But why doesn't my dad hug me anymore? Mm. Everything has changed. Sometimes I blame myself. I don't know sometimes if I should have come home. Would it have? Would I have been better off if I didn't?
1: It's so sad that he actually had to wonder that.
0: Yeah. Eventually, the teasing and lack of therapy got to Stephen, and he started drinking again. And this led to Delbert Stainer kicking his son out of the house. He forced him to leave after spending seven years trying to find him. That's so sad. I know.
1: He didn't want Stephen to get therapy, even though they were clearly having a lot of issues, so many that he kicked Stephen out. It's That's just... I can't wrap my mind around that part.
0: Yeah. he's kicked out his kid after searching for seven years. That, like, boggles my mind.
1: And like I mentioned in the intro about victims of abuse and stuff like this needing e- extra care. Mm -hmm. and love like they're not going to be as easy to deal with as people that haven't experienced these traumas and as as supporters of them we need to be able to deal with that Mm -hmm. you know we need to give them extra leniency and and not give up on them because
0: they're victims yeah (laughs) and this wasn't their choice
1: yeah so hopefully there's a good lesson in this let your kids have therapy even if you think it's embarrassing
0: and give yourself a session <laughs> yeah while you're at it
1: so after causing all this terrible trauma in these lives what did parnell get in return in
0: 1981 he went to trial and was convicted of kidnapping timothy white and Steven stainer in two separate trials
1: so you may have noticed that he was only charged with kidnapping What about all the rapes? One problem was that they happened outside the jurisdiction of Merced, but I'm wondering why they couldn't be charged by the police where it did happen. Couldn't the departments have helped each other out there? Yeah. Another problem was that some of the abuses were outside the statute of limitations, and that must have been one short statute of limitations because it had all occurred in the last seven years
0: yeah it happened like who cares
1: there should be no statute of limitation on crimes that have victims that's just common sense to me but the biggest factor seemed to be that the lawyer didn't want to embarrass steven by pushing for the sexual assault charges because of that huge stigma at the time about masculinity and being a male rape victim would be looked at as being a weak man, and the lawyer assumed people would view him as quote-unquote damaged goods.
0: That makes no sense, because he was a little kid.
1: I know. And I don't know why this held him back, because people already knew about the sexual assault. The kids were teasing him for it at school. It's really sad to see. But I guess at least this monster would get charged for the kidnapping, so... Stephen was held captive by this jerk for seven years. So Parnell had to get at least seven years in prison, plus more time for physical, emotional, and psychological damage, right? Maybe 10, 15 years. But no.
0: This makes me so mad. (laughs) Kenneth Parnell was sentenced to seven years.
1: He got that seven years for each one, but he was able to serve them at the same time
0: doesn't that completely like lose like what's the point point? <laughs> and not only that but he only served five of those years he was released on parole after only five years after kidnapping and raping a child for seven years
1: but try to wrap your heads around that where's the justice in that it's obviously not fair, especially since he'd been in prison before and tried to escape. Like, how do you get release on parole when you've tried to escape prison before? Oh. I don't get that.
0: No, something is not adding up for this to happen. I don't get it. Huh. Irvin Murphy, the simple minded man that Parnell used in the kidnapping of Stephen, and Sean Porman, who helped kidnap Timmy, were convicted. Convicted of lesser charges, but both claimed they had no idea about the sexual abuse. Well, you know, they did help kidnap, so I guess they should probably have something. Yeah,
1: but Stephen actually had a soft spot for Irvin. Even though he helped to abduct him, Stephen said he was always kind, and he actually called him Uncle Irvin. He truly believed that Irvin was just as much of a victim of Parnell's manipulation as Timmy and himself were.
0: Hmm. Thankfully, this case actually led to some charges, changes in California state laws to allow consecutive prison terms in similar abduction cases.
1: Yeah, like I mentioned er- earlier, he served his terms concurrently. But in other words, consecutive terms are stacked, so you serve one at a time.
0: Which is the way it should have always been.
1: Yeah, but Parnell served both of his sentences for Timmy and Stephen Concurrently, meaning both at the same time. So, not only did he not get the fourteen years he should have gotten, but he got two years cut off and got out earlier than he would have full term. So, I guess it's nice to see the state realize that this was a problem and a mistake here, and that this case did make a difference for future victims, at least.
0: Barbara Matthias, the woman who raped Stephen nine times was never charged with anything.
1: Wow. They kind of dropped the ball there. Apparently, California in the 80s didn't take sexual assault very seriously because no one got charged with anything involving the sexual assault of Stephen. And unfortunately, some of them are still like that. <clears throat> Brock Turner.
0: Nice. <laughs> So after getting a slap on the wrist for this terrible crime, Parnell was a free man. But in January of 2003, he slipped up again. He was 71 years old around this time. He was diabetic and had emphysema. He had a stroke that caused him to need 24-hour nursing care. His caregiver, Diane Stevens, was actually aware of the things that he had done and even worked along with the police to set up a sting on Parnell. While in her care, Parnell tried to coerce her into buying him a four-year-old boy. He requested that the child have a clean rectum, indicating that he had sexual intentions. What the heck? Yeah. This What? She played along in cooperation with the police, and he followed through on the plan, paying $100 for a birth certificate and $400 in cash to complete the transaction. That day, he was arrested. So he was going to buy a person, a child, for $500 total? Apparently. Wow, that seems very clearance.
1: (laughs) Yeah. What the heck? Uh, This was 40 years ago, so... No, wait, this was in 2003. Yeah. That is very strange.
0: So on February 9th, 2004... He was convicted of attempting to purchase a child and attempted child molestation. Finally, he was sentenced to 25 years to life.
1: Uh, He only lasted four years in prison, though, and this time he didn't get out early. He'd actually been in hospice care for a while and finally died of natural causes in 2008.
0: This is good that he finally was sentenced to 25 years to life, but this seems less deserving than the seven years of rape and kidnapping because he didn't actually do it. I mean, he deserved time obviously because he was trying to, and he, you know what I mean? But he should have gotten the 25 years to life the first time with the, the seven year rape and kidnapping.
1: Yeah. That's exactly the problem is because they had to fabricate this whole sting operation to kind of like post like almost too late to to actually punish him for what he did in the past. Yeah. But How Cal- did
0: Stevens case not count for twenty five years? But this his sentence upsetting?
1: I read something about his sentence being part of California's three strike law, which because it this was his third attempt to get a abducted a child, that that's what made him get a longer sentence. Hmm. So I guess the prison time for child abduction just isn't that much, yeah. and, which is ridiculous to me. Anyway, let's move on and talk about Stephen's adult life.
0: In 1985, Stephen got married to Jody Edmondson. They had two children together. He also worked with child abduction groups and spoke to children about personal safety.
1: So it's cool to see that even after being mistreated by his abuser and his father in a way, he still wanted to use his experience to help others.
0: He was living in Merced with his wife Jody and two kids, Ashley and Stephen Jr. and got a job working at a pizza shop as a delivery man. He would use his motorcycle at work. On September 17th, 1989, he was on his way home when a car pulled out of the driveway of a migrant labor camp along the highway right in front of Stephen, He hit the driver's side of the car and flew off his bike and landed on his head.
1: And he wasn't wearing a helmet, so he suffered massive head injuries. It's such a sad death for a man that's been through so much. It's also a bit ironic because he worked a job where he's literally driving around all day, and yet this happened while he was on his way home.
0: Steven died less than an hour later at the age of 24. Wow.
1: Yeah, he'd only been free for 10 years.
0: The driver that pulled out in front of him didn't even stop. He just left the scene. But thankfully, he was later identified as Antonio Loera.
1: Loera? Loera, Who cares? Sorry. I don't care about pronouncing his name right. So.
0: He was a 20-year-old worker at a local tomato plant packing plant. Jody Steiner was really upset about this. She said, I'm very, very, very angry. I've never been this angry. I would have been a lot different if this man who hit him had stayed. If it's the last thing I do, I'll nail him.
1: So she's super pissed, and rightfully so. I can't imagine getting this type of news. It's... uh... It's always been one of my biggest fears to lose someone I love in a car accident. This poor woman and her kids.
0: His parents were on a camping trip when it happened, and some friends had to track them down to break the awful news to them. Kay was completely devastated by the news, and so was Delbert.
1: My family friends actually said that during the search for Stephen in the past, it seemed like... Kay was actually the stronger one, and Delbert was having a tougher time. But after Stephen's death, Kay was so beat down, she just fell apart. And Delbert had to be strong for her. I think mm-hmm. Kay had said, it feels like like he's just been on loan to us. Yeah. You know, like, they keep losing him.
0: The man that drove the car that killed Stephen surrendered to the police. On September 20th, 1989, a funeral was held for Stephen Stainer, and Timothy White actually served as Pal Bearer.
1: Yeah, little Timmy, the kid that he saved. Uh, So, Timothy White often gets overshadowed in this case by the bigger names in it, but what happened to him?
0: Well, Thankfully, Timothy had a much smoother adjustment to returning home than Stephen did. He had only been gone for two weeks, whereas Stephen was gone for seven years. Timothy remained friends with Stephen. He even went on to forgive Sean Porman, the boy who had helped kidnap him. They publicly made peace with a hug.
1: Yeah, it seemed like Sean felt really bad about it, and Timothy realized how manipulative Parnell had been.
0: Timothy went on to become a deputy sheriff and spoke out against child sexual abuse, advocating for victims. He got married and had two kids as well, and even played a role in putting Parnell back in prison when he was arrested in 2003 for the last time.
1: So I know you said earlier how, you know, it's kind of too late, but I think it's awesome. Revenge is a a dish best served cold.
0: What? (laughs) What Laffy Taffy rapper did you get that from?
1: You've never heard that before? I haven't. Because when they're least expecting it...
0: Oh, I get it.
1: And I don't want his story to be overlooked, because he's such a great example of taking traumatic childhood experiences and using them as fuel to be stronger and better. He had truly recovered from his abuse and made the best of it. And at least we have one happy ending in this story, right? Again, no.
0: No. When Timothy White was thirty five years old, he had a pulmonary embolism and dropped dead suddenly, completely unexpectedly.
1: That's basically when something in your bloodstream clogs clogs up your bloodstream in your heart and you your blood just stops pumping.
0: Seriously? That is terrifying.
1: No, oh, this happened to someone um when I was like When I was like 10 years old or so, or I guess 13, one of my closest friends died this way. Really? Because he had broken his foot, and he got a blood clot in his foot, which traveled up and clogged his heart. Oh, wow. Which was really unexpected and sudden, and just, why does this happen? So after everything both Stephen and Timothy had been through, they both experienced sudden and really unglamorous deaths. Like, I feel so bad for both of their families. They both had wives and children. And you wouldn't expect such an unexpected and lame death to take the mm-hmm. life of someone who survived other traumas that were so huge, you know?
0: hmm And of course, we can't end this story without talking about Carrie Stainer, the Yosemite killer. As we know, the Stainer family went through a tragedy that most of us can't even imagine— Carrie Stainer watched his parents obsess over his missing brother for seven years, and then obsess over their disappointment after they did find him.
1: Yeah, all the attention was on Stephen, and Carrie resented that deeply.
0: Carrie Stainer went on to kill four young women at Yosemite National Park, where he worked. We're not going to go into detail here, but we do want to share the names of the victims.
1: So there was Carol Sund and her 15-year-old daughter Julie Sund, as well as their travel companion, a 16-year-old Argentinian exchange student named Silvina Peloso. And he also killed a Yosemite Institute employee, a 26-year-old naturalist named Joy Ruth Armstrong. So that's so awful. I think it's interesting that he worked at the same place where Kenneth Parnell and Irvin Murphy worked when Stephen was abducted.
0: Mm -hmm. Carrie tried to use his brother's story to get sympathy after being charged, saying that his parents neglected him and focused on his brother. But he also admitted to fantasizing about killing women even before his brother was kidnapped. So the jury didn't buy it. But now Carrie is on death row these four murders
1: yeah so if you want to hear his full story uh, we definitely recommend uh, generation y they've covered it in much more detail they did a really good job on it also there's a couple documentaries including one that just came out last week like we mentioned before from Mm -hmm. 2020 so check that out but we just really wanted to focus on steven's story and timothy's because Obviously, we try to be a voice for the victim, and ah, it's terrifying to think that someone could endure all this and really not get any justice, and also be so mistreated by the ones that should have helped him recover, you know?
0: And then die.
1: Yeah. At 24.
0: That's how old I am.
1: So young. You're just a whippersnapper.
0: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, well that wraps up our case for today.
1: Yeah. Um
0: Did I mention that we're literally leaving tomorrow morning at
1: 7:30 for Disney? It's well, exciting. actually Daytona. Daytona Beach, but we're going to Disney, but the day this comes out, we'll be on our way home.
0: How sad. <laughs> that's true <laughs> oh oh i'm never listening to this episode i'll be sad
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyways thank you guys so much for listening mm-hmm. if you enjoy our show we would really appreciate it so much especially if you listen every week if you go to apple podcasts if that's where you listen and give us a review um we'd love to know why you listen every week and um yeah, what keeps you coming back and what you think we could improve on?
0: Yeah, are you on Team Ryan or Team Rosie?
1: Let's not be divisive on <laughs> We the know
0: show. who that one guy is a fan of.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> if you look through our Apple <laughs> podcast reviews,
0: it there's one guy that's like every time. I'd
1: like a It's a 5-star review, which is great, but mm-hmm. he's like I'd like a lot more Rosie and a lot less Ryan. I'm
0: not complaining. I think it's funny. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm fine with it i I would like that as well, <laughs> but um, yeah, we'd appreciate that, mm-hmm. and you can also support us on Patreon if you'd like some cool stuff. We are sending out mugs to people we're sending out
0: we just sent some out today yeah actually. we're
1: we're getting new mugs in soon, but we also got fridge magnets and postcards and stickers so you can get all kinds of cool stuff that way and it also will come with um two premium episodes right off the bat and we're working on more We'll we're hoping to release one per month mm-hmm. so um it's attainable yeah i hope if you support us we'll give you extra stuff because we really appreciate that so <laughs> yeah and, um yeah, you can follow us on Instagram at VOV Podcast. If you're on there, you can follow us on VOV or on Twitter at VOV Pod. And also, you can like our page on Facebook, which I always forget to tell you guys about um, Voice of the Victim Podcast on Facebook. And we have a group as well called Voice of the Victim Support System, where we have um, a nice little group of cool people and. I think that's about it. I know I need to be better about managing our Facebook pages, but yeah, (laughs) goals. So is there any cat news or other Mm. things you want to talk about?
0: I'm so focused on being done with today so we can go.
1: Zook's been on your lap literally this entire time, sleeping.
0: Good boy. Yeah, good
1: boy. If you heard weird noises in the background, it was just our little kitten burrito making as much noise as possible. Mm-hmm. He's mm. very naughty. He's he, a good boy. So, should we tell him the story about last night? Okay. He's been obsessed with the Q-tips, the little ear swabs um, that we keep on the bathroom counter. Rosie has like a cute little mason jar with a little dish on top of it to hold the q-tips well she had it in the (laughs) middle of the night we heard this this like explosion of glass and we woke up in a panic and we walk in the bathroom and see that the q-tip holder dish was shattered all over the floor and the q-tips were gone because he took them all and hid them under the rug
0: his little dog bones
1: yeah (laughs) maybe that is what it is.
0: Mm -hmm. He's a puppy. He
1: he does look like a little wolf pup to me Mm -hmm. because he's got long hair and he's super lanky. But anyway, I just thought that was interesting that he's obsessed with Mm Q-tips. And also this morning, he knocked over Rosie's flowers and spilled flower water all over the living room floor. So he's a pretty uh, spunky kid, but we love him and Yeah, anyway, Rosie's pretty spent because she had a long day. And so we will let you go now. And yeah, anything else to say, Rosie?
0: So thank you for listening,
1: and we will talk to you next week.
0: Bye.